2021 is here. We can only hope that it will be a better year than 2020 was. But how is that possible? As they said in the Christmas Carol, if the shadows that I see are not altered by the future, well, that's what we have here. We have potentially Joe Biden being inaugurated on the 20th of January. This is a man who doesn't even know where he is. Meanwhile, the man who's been the president for the past four years and led this country to its greatest period of prosperity in my lifetime, greatest period of peace, not engaging in wars, but actually bringing troops home uh, at risk of being removed from office on the 20th. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. This is your first time to the show, or if you're a repeat listener but have not yet subscribed, please do so. And you can do so in one of three easy ways. You can go to either the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store for you Android users, and you can subscribe that way by looking for N period P period online. In fact, I've actually shortened it now in the iTunes App Store, and we'll do so in the Google Play Store. N period, P period, O period, uh, and that's it. National Preview Online, subscribe, doesn't cost you anything. You'll be notified every time a new episode is uploaded. Or you can download the Podbean app, it's free, and you can subscribe to the show that way. Podbean.com is our hosting service, and either way it'll work. Please write a review of the show. The more positive reviews we get, the more quickly the show will gain exposure and grow so that we can continue to bring you information and updates and news that the mainstream media just refuses to tell you. And so once again, we're at the crossroads, as we have been many times before in our country's history. Now, I told you all a couple of weeks ago uh, about the significance of January 6th. That on January 6th, almost all other dates are insignificant, but on January 6th, That is officially when these supposed certified electors, when the votes are actually certified in Congress. The states certify their own electors and they send them to Congress, but on the 6th, the votes are opened and the pledges are made and the Congress certifies those electors. And there is a constitutional procedure whereby if at least one member from the House and one member from the Senate objects to the certification of those electors, then there is a spirited debate in both chambers for a minimum of two hours before they can come to an agreement. And if, as a result of that debate, no one reaches 270 votes, because it's a foregone conclusion that many of the electors will be certified in some of the states that are not in dispute, but it could be, as a consequence of this, no one reaches 270 votes. And if that's the case... The vote goes to the House of Representatives, but it's not supposed to be the House of Representatives at large. It's a state delegation from each state, with each state getting one vote, because they are a co-equal partner in this great union of ours of 50 states. Now, in the beginning, there was some doubt whether or not this would happen. In the past, these token challenges have been made, but they usually were fringe challenges. For instance, I think Maxine Waters tried it against... Donald Trump, because she refused to believe that he was going to be president, and it triggered a debate, but it didn't amount to anything because it didn't have any kind of support. Well, that's not the case this time. Despite the mainstream media telling you there's been no evidence of fraud when we have absolute mathematical proof that there had to be fraud, uh, 
a thousand or more affidavits sworn under penalty of perjury by people who have witnessed fraud, videotape evidence of fraud in Georgia with ballots being removed from suitcases after everyone was sent home, but they didn't know there was, there was a security camera there to catch them in the act. There's more than ample evidence of fraud. Don't believe the mainstream media just because they say there's no fraud, there's no fraud. They're just repeating a lie, hoping that if they repeat it enough, people will eventually believe it. But there is fraud, and there has been fraud. Well, we started out with Louis Gohmert and a few other senators, I'm sorry, uh, congressmen that said they were going to oppose this. We now have over 40 members of the House of Representatives who intend to protest this electoral certification on January 6th, and that's this coming Wednesday. In the Senate, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri said that he will challenge it regardless of any other information that comes to light. He's seen all he needs to see. He's going to challenge it. So that is enough to trigger the debate. But now we have learned that 11 additional senators announced on Saturday that they're going to challenge the electoral votes during the January 6th joint session of Congress. This quote from the Epic Times, America is a republic whose leaders are chosen in democratic elections. Those elections, in turn, must comply with the Constitution and with federal and state law. This was a joint statement issued by the group. When the voters fairly decide an election pursuant to the rule of law, the losing candidate should acknowledge and respect the legitimacy of that election. And if the voters choose to elect a new officeholder, our nation should have a peaceful transfer of power. The election of 2020, like the election of 2016, was hard fought and in many swing states narrowly decided. The 2020 election, however, featured unprecedented allegations of voter fraud, violations and lax enforcement of election law, and other voting irregularities. The allegations of fraud and irregularities in 2020 exceed any in our lifetime, the group added, noting courts, including the Supreme Court, have repeatedly declined to hear evidence of alleged fraud. Now, the only problem I have with that statement is the, the characterization of unprecedented allegations of voter fraud. In my opinion, based on the very, very erudite presentations by Sidney Powell, by Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, and other lawyers for the Trump campaign, and Lynn Wood, who are working in parallel with the Trump campaign. These are no longer allegations. This is proof of fraud. We have a lot of proof of fraud. For instance, no one has been able to satisfactorily explain how 40,000 people potentially voted twice in the state of Nevada a state with a margin, of, a margin of victory for Biden is about 12,000 votes. That's game-changing, that's outcome-changing in that state election. Nobody has satisfactorily explained how in the state of Georgia, where the margin is 12,000, we have similar problems. We have vote-switching problems. We're going to get to that a little bit later. No one has satisfactorily explained how in the state of Pennsylvania, where with 64% of the vote counted on election eve, Donald Trump, in a, in a state where approximately 6.9 million votes or ballots were cast, with 64% of the vote in, or 4,250,000 
votes. He led by 760,000 votes. No one has been able to explain how with a little over 2.5 million votes left to count, this 760,000 vote margin for Trump was erased and replaced with an 80,000 vote deficit. No one could explain how there are 207,000 more ballots cast in the state of Pennsylvania than there were people who actually voted in the state of Pennsylvania. This is fraud, ladies and gentlemen. This is mathematical fraud. And not only did this, the odds of this fraud taking place in a given state, numbers in, in astronomical terms, in terms of the odds, you have a better chance of winning the lotto, but we're to believe that this incredible, literally lotto-type odds of this thing happening happened in six different states at the same time where they all stopped counting and where only 64% of the vote was counted because they knew, as I've said many times before in this program, that if any more of the votes had been counted before they intervened, there wouldn't have been enough room left for them to try and maneuver this thing. So it's like someone going to six different state lotteries, playing the same numbers in each state, and having the same numbers being drawn in each of those state lotteries from a different database, and winning all six times. It can't happen. I told you before, when 2 plus 2 has to equal 10 in order for something to happen, that something didn't happen. The laws of mathematics are immutable, and they cannot be changed. So we have more evidence. In the state of Georgia, where I told you the margin of victory is about 12,000, Georgia election data now shows that 17,650 votes were switched from Trump to Biden. Switched. Georgia election data indicates this. A team led by Linda McLaughlin, along with data scientists Justin Mealy and Dave LeBou, presented the results before the Georgia Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Elections. Mealy worked as an electronic warfare technician in the U.S. Navy for nine and a half years and was a former Central Intelligence AG contractor as a data analyst and programmer for the National Counterterrorism Center. He currently works for one of the big four accounting firms as a programmer. Labou is a data scientist with over a decade of experience in a number of industries. I'll cut to the chase here. What they're saying in this article, what we have here is we actually have fraud that we can prove in this election. There was fraud in Georgia's election. We can prove it with data. The voting will of the people of Georgia is not reflected in what was certified by the Secretary of State. According to their analysis on time series election data, which was published online as early as December 24th, Trump's votes were decrementing in various counties instead of increasing as they normally do. The team said the switch happened at the county level and was hard to be observed at the state level because the, dec the decrements were offset by accurate data uploaded by other counties. A clear example of vote switching happened in DeKalb County, they said, at 9 p.m. This is precise data, ladies and gentlemen. These people are giving you numbers, they're giving you counties, they're giving you dates, they're giving you times. At 9, 11 p.m. local time, Trump received 29,391 votes, as Biden simultaneously received 17,218 votes. 
However, in the next reported time update, Trump's votes became 17,218, while Biden's were changed to 29,391. In this single event, 12,173 votes were switched. Labou goes on to say, I want to make that very, very clear, that at no point in an incremental process should you decrement it. The state certified election vote, uh, votes results show Trump lost Georgia by 12,670 votes. This margin is only about three or four hundred votes short of the margin of victory. That definitely requires a recount. And we haven't even gone to the issue yet, which we raised last week, of the people in Georgia, 27,000 of them, or 23,000, I believe, that filed change of address forms with the post office, expressing their intent to move out of the state of Georgia well prior to the election, moved out of the state of Georgia, as evidenced by their voter registrations in the new states they moved to, and yet still managed to vote in the state of Georgia. And when the Republicans challenged this to try and get these people removed or purged from the voter rolls for the upcoming runoff election, a federal judge prevented it and halted it. And who was that federal judge? Leslie Abrams, the sister of the ugly gap-tooth former loser of the Georgia gubernatorial election a few years back, uh, Stacey Abrams. This thing, you just can't make it up. It just gets thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. So much so now that we have 400 ex-intelligent officers that are now going to investigate election irregularities. 400 people from the intelligence community, military, law enforcement, and judiciary have formed a loose network to investigate irregularities in the 2020 election. Robert Caron, one of the organizers of this network, began his intelligence career at the CIA. He later worked for the Special Situation Group, which was a task force established by George Herbert Walker Bush that includes strategic planning. He's putting this thing together. They're going to be looking into this. A lot of people now have eyes on this. And Sidney Powell, our old friend, is not just sitting still and on the sidelines either. In an interview she gave to Flashpoint, Sidney Powell told the host Gene Bailey that she believes it is definitely possible that President Donald Trump retains the presidency for a second term, even after the joint session of Congress on January 6th or beyond. Now, how is that possible? Well, we're going to get to that, and I explained a lot of this to you, showing that we're ahead of the curve. Powell was responding to a question by Bailey about the viable paths that remain for a second Trump term. Quote, there are multiple cases pending in the Supreme Court, Powell said. We have four states to play in our petitions for emergency mandamus to ask the court to decertify Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia because of all the massive fraud there. A mandamus is a type of writ court order that compels action, in this case, decertification of the Electoral College votes. Powell invited viewers of the program to examine the filings. I won't go on to the particulars of every particular filing that's out there. Um, but we have a lot of this going on. Now, you've got, you've got uh, 
cybersecurity and infrastructure agencies still trying to call the November 3rd election the most secure in history. But the main man, John Ratcliffe, Director of National Intelligence, who's the man that all of America's intelligence agencies report to, confirmed in early December that there was foreign interference in the 2020 election. So now, all of these things are quite possible. And I don't see the Supreme Court, how they're going to be able to continue to sit on the sidelines. They're coming under great pressure. They took a lot of hit for not listening to the other cases, the case that Texas brought. And I think if they don't weigh in on this issue and decertify these results, uh, they're going to do irreparable damage to the reputation of the institution. And make no mistake, if the Supreme Court steps in and decertifies these election results in these states, there is no way on January 6th that um, Joe Biden can reach 270, and this thing has to go to the House of Representatives. Now, everybody's going to ask me now, well, what happens if we don't find out about the fraud until after January 20th, and everything that's done between now and then can't prevent Trump uh, from leaving office and can't prevent Biden from being sworn in on the 20th? What happens if the day after or a week after we find incontrovertible evidence that we can prove the election was stolen beyond a reasonable doubt, and nobody can deny it. What do we do then? Well, unfortunately, it isn't like, oh, sorry, you got to go. Once a president is sworn in, but I told you this over two weeks ago, the only way to get him out is an impeachment. He would have to be impeached. And I don't know quite how that works, because unless Biden, first of all, I don't think Biden is even competent to know what's going on. I don't even know that Biden knows what happened here. Maybe he did. Maybe those slips of a tongue that he made weren't just uh, his Alzheimer's getting to him or whatever it is he suffers from, his dementia. But uh, I don't know if he has to be considered a party to the corruption to impeach him, but clearly I think he can be impeached. But it makes it a lot easier if it goes the other way. But the big story we have to take away from all this is the 11 GOP senators that are now joining the challenge to the electoral certification. Now, this is separate, separate from the move by Josh Hawley. These people want a certificate. They want an investigation, an immediate. The senators that are involved in this said that Congress should immediately appoint an electoral commission with full investigatory and fact-finding authority to conduct an emergency 10-day audit of election returns in disputed states. Once completed, the states would evaluate the commission's findings and convene a special legislative session to certify a change in their vote if needed. Accordingly, we intend to vote on January 6th to reject the electors from disputed states as not regularly given and lawfully certified, the statutory requisite, unless and until that emergency 10-day, 10-day audit is completed, the group said. Now, I want you to take note of these names. We're going to be putting together a list of people who don't stand up. These people, as it stands right now, are pledging to stand up. These people deserve your support until it's demonstrated otherwise. Ted Cruz, the head of the group, Texas. Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. James Lankford, Republican, Oklahoma. Steve Daines, Republican from Montana. John Kennedy from Louisiana, Marsha Blackburn, Republican Tennessee, and Mike Braun, Republican Indiana. In addition, senators-elect, who are sworn in on January 3rd, that's tomorrow, 
Cynthia Loomis, Republican Wyoming, Roger Marshall, Republican Kansas, Bill Haggerty, Republican Tennessee, and Tommy Tuberville, Republican Alabama, also plan on joining. They'll be sworn in on Sunday, several days before the joint session, just as I said. So things are heating up. Things are not over. And if anything, momentum is building. You remember when everyone told you a few weeks ago this January 6th was a pipe dream because it's never happened before, except back when the early part of the Republic in the early 1800s with, John, with uh, Andrew Jackson? Well, it's happening now, and it's happening in earnest. It's not just one person like when Maxine Waters did it. We have now a dozen senators, and we have over 40 members of the House of Representatives. This thing's not going away. And eventually, I do believe, no matter how this thing ends up, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, not to the mainstream media, but to the bulk of the American people, that the election of Joe Biden to the office of President of the United States was fraudulent and delegitimate, and he should never be allowed to assume office. Now, before I leave you, I like to make a little social commentary once in a while to show you how we're being played. The new move now is they're trying to force people to take the vaccine. They're trying to force you to do a lot of things. They're trying to say, we can't do this, we can't do that. We can't dine in safely here in New York City, even though the scientific data shows that 2.4% of all transmissions come from restaurants. 74% come from home gatherings. But I don't think they yet have the balls to ban home gatherings. So they're banning what they can ban, which is restaurants, which makes no logical sense, uh, because all they're doing is putting these people out of business. When people tell you they can't do something, most of the time, like they tell you in the military, I can't means I won't. They can do it. We're living in the greatest technological age that has yet existed in the history of this planet. Things that seemed like science fiction a few years ago are reality. If you're about my age, you grew up on Star Trek, and we thought those communicators were pretty wild. We thought those video conferencings that they used to have were, were even wilder. When Kirk would call Starfleet Command from his office and see them on the screen. And now you walk around with something that makes the communicator look like nothing. You walk around with the modern-day equivalent of what they used to call a tricorder. You can record things. You get weather reports. You get news. You make phone calls. You can make video calls, just like Star Trek. But yet they tell you they can't do things. Apple. Samsung. Well, Apple is the big one. These phones now are capable of so much that their price reflects what they can do. They can do more than some computers could do 15 years ago. They're like a miniature, powerful computer in the palm of your hand. You're in touch with the world wherever you go. You can do your banking on them. You can do anything with them. You can even charge them without plugging them in now. $1,500. For some of these phones, if you get them all maxed out with memory, 
twelve to fifteen hundred dollars. Doesn't it strike you odd that after paying twelve to fifteen hundred dollars for a phone, that you have to buy a case for fifty bucks to protect it from breaking because the geniuses that designed it made it out of glass? My understanding is that glass is nice, it helps wireless charging, but Ceramic phones are not required for wireless charging. Who in God's green earth would make a phone that costs $1,500 and make it out of glass? I pay $1,500 for a phone. I think it should make my bed, may cook me breakfast, and certainly doesn't require a case. Shouldn't they give you a case for free or better yet, make the phone itself out of the same material the case is made out of? It's kind of like these black boxes they put in the jets. Indestructible, they survive crashes. Why can't they make the whole plane out of the black box material? You can't make this stuff up. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.